Coming up, we will play you a clip of Al Sharpton speaking out against the movement to defund the police. Pretty shocking. We will tell you who the real mastermind was behind the impeachment hoax, not the whistleblower, as the Democrats have been claiming. The whistleblower was just a front. All right, so CNN has aired a photo of Joe Biden and his son Hunter from years ago. His son Hunter is just a child, and it's a doctored photo, and you're not going to believe what was edited out. And they're saying it was the Biden campaign. It wasn't CNN. But but I still blame CNN for more fake news. But this was a doctored photo of Joe Biden and his son Hunter when, when Hunter was a child. Now, what could possibly be problematic? So this was an altered family picture of Joe Biden and Hunter shown on CNN. They were at a sporting event and they removed the logo on the hat. Hunter's wearing a hat and they removed the logo. If you look, it was a child. If you look at the original picture, which has been on uncovered it was a logo of the Washington Redskin football team and the campaign has airbrushed it out of the photo and CNN published it that way the original picture shows Hunter wearing a cap this is in the Washington Examiner and other places wearing a cap with the logo of the wash of the formerly known as wash the Washington Redskins but uh, the CNN aired photo has no sign of that logo whatsoever the hat I believe is just just plain plain hat no logo and the Biden campaign says they did it for copyright purposes. You cannot make this stuff uh, stuff up. The, the the Biden campaign spokesman said, quote, we removed the image because it's copyrighted. A very common practice on campaigns. And CNN says that from now on when they show the photo, they'll only show the unedited version. Obviously, CNN is not so worried about the copyright issues. The copyright issues, come on. If this were any other sporting team, sports team, I mean, it's clearly because it's politically incorrect to show a picture of a child decades ago, decades ago, with a logo of the Washington Redskins on his head associated with Joe Biden. I, I mean, it, you really, it is such madness. It's just beyond all human comprehension. All right, so the latest media bombshell, which once again is nothing. There, it's, there's nothing here. And I, it's Bob Woodward wrote a book about President Trump, and the media says this is a bombshell. This exposes a COVID cover-up. They, they supposedly exposed Trump here covering up COVID-19, covering up the coronavirus. He didn't cover it up. You know, the travel ban against China before basically any other country is is not a cover-up. I have news for you. But, like, I, I look at the headline, and it's like, yawn, okay. Yet another scandalous book, Bob Woodward now, publishing a book about Trump. And this Bob Woodward's book, I believe, is not as much about the money because he has plenty of money as it is about staying relevant. I mean, this is the man who uncovered Watergate, Woodward and Bernstein. He's a, su he's a super liberal journalist, anti-Trump. Why on earth did President Trump agree to speak with Bob Woodward for nine hours? He spoke with him on the phone for nine hours, and it was recorded. Why are you agreeing to speak to Bob Woodward for nine minutes? I have no idea. You know that he's going to twist your words around. You know that he's going to use it to write a nasty book and publish it right before the election, exactly what he's doing. So why would Trump agree to the interview? I, I, I absolutely have no idea, but what this does do, it reaffirms the fact that President Trump is the most transparent president ever. I mean, you know that Bob Woodward, after speaking on the phone with Trump over a period of weeks and months for nine hours, he's going to sift through, he's going to have his research team, they're going to go through every word, pick apart every word that Trump said with a fine-tooth comb and find the three or four times that Trump said something damaging. 
and turn that into this nasty, vicious book. But it reaffirms that President Trump, he's so transparent. He lit literally will speak to any reporter. He'll take any question. He doesn't care how tough it is. He's the exact opposite of Joe Biden, who refuses to come out of the basement, refuses to even speak to the mainstream media who's friendly to him. And yet Trump, it's like, bring it on. What, give me the best you've got, and I'll be happy to respond. Now, Bob Woodward, as usual, there's nothing new. It's like I see the headlines, Trump engaged in a cover-up. And I'm saying to myself, all right, let me see what what they have now. I, I honestly wouldn't even discuss it, except if I don't discuss it, then I know some people think, oh, you know, Yaakov decided to avoid talking about the latest Trump scandal. I have no problem discussing it, but I just don't want to bore you to tears with the same old nonsense. It's like, give me something new. Give me a new scandal, and I'll pick it apart. I'm happy. I don't run shy away from discussing Trump scandals, but it's like the same nonsense again and again. And the real bombshell, there's a bombshell here, but the media, as usual, has it all backward. The bombshell is that Trump spoke with Bob Woodward for nine hours, and Trump is rattling off anything on his mind. I mean, he's literally just going at it. And the most scandalous thing that Woodward can come up with is that Trump said that COVID-19 was dangerous. Oh, wow, we got a bombshell here. Trump said COVID-19 was dangerous, but meanwhile, he was downplaying it. And you know what Trump said? He said, we'll get to the details later. He said, COVID-19, I downplayed it because I didn't want mass hysteria. Ha ha, we proved that Trump covered it up because he told Woodward it's laughable. Trump covered up the truth about the virus. Woodward uncovered a bombshell. Well, well, what's Woodward's source? His source is Trump. Trump told Woodward himself. Well, geez, some cover-up. All right, so Al Sharpton was on MSNBC. He's a guest. He's a commentator there. He frequently makes appearances. I think he even hosts a show on MSNBC. Joe Scarborough was interviewing Al Sharpton. And Al Sharpton came out against the movement to defund the police. Here, listen to this clip. This is Joe Scarborough asking Sharpton about how the movement to defund the police is going to actually hurt minorities and hurt people of color in the minority communities. Listen to this clip. And I, I hear the fears of, of, again, the defunding the police or cutting the police budget by billion dollars in New York City will disproportionately impact who? The poorest uh, people in New York City and also disproportionately impact People of color, Rev, uh, with school safety monitors being yanked out of there and other uh, other uh, police officers that certainly many uh, people of color and their representatives in New York City feel are essential workers themselves. I, I've said, uh, uh, and you and I have discussed this, we need to reimagining how we do policing. But when you are talking about the fact that, A, we are in the areas where that is inundated with guns, that has this uh, serious problems of our uh, people being given guns that can't even get a summer program. To take all policing off is something that I think uh, a latte liberal may go for as they sit around the Hamptons discussing this as some academic problem. But people living on the ground need proper policing. Yes, we need more uh, resources in different areas like mental health, but we do not need our grandmothers pray to those that are being the uh, users of products of the big gun manufacturers in this country. 
I mean, unbelievable. Latte liberals. Latte liberals, Al Sharpton says. This is one of those rare times I almost sort of agree with him. I don't. And look, Al Sharpton, he's anti-police. He made it clear there in that clip itself. He's vicious anti-Semite. I mean, his long track record, he's he's anti-white. And even here, I don't agree with him. But that's, that's exactly the point, that even Al Sharpton, who's so radical, even he says defund the police. That's the latte liberals in the Hamptons. And, and this shows you the disconnect. And by the way, Joe Scarborough talked about how uh, defunding the police would affect uh, people of color. Thankfully, he didn't say would affect colored people because then he literally would be thrown off the air mid-sentence for being a racist. But people of color, of course, that's completely fine. In fact, that's praiseworthy. But Al Sharpton there talking about the latte liberals and about how who do you think the, the, if you get rid of the police from these minority areas, I mean, that would just obviously be devastating. And this is Al Sharpton who says we got to reimagine the police. He's wrong about that. This is the same Al Sharpton who has been the biggest enemy of the blacks themselves. He has squashed them down. He has turned them into victims. He the, he has advanced the narrative of victimhood and racism and put, put, placed black people on all these social government programs and accused whites of being racist, systemic racism for decades. He has to do that, even though it's not true and even though he's hurting the blacks, but he'd be out of a job if there was no more racism and if he actually came to grips or at least admitted the reality because he sure is aware of it himself. And despite all of that, the same Al Sharpton is saying that look at these latte liberals who are so out of touch that they think defunding the police is a good thing. And remember, we told you Kamala Harris, not Kamala Harris, says, look at the upper class neighborhoods. I want to show you the brainwashing here. Look at the upper class neighborhoods. There's no crime. Look at the suburbs. There's no crime. While I look around, there's no police. So you need to not have police, and that's how you have no crime. I mean, think about how she's brainwashing. They have big houses and beautiful schools, so we need to have big houses and beautiful schools in the minority communities, in the inner city, and then that's going to get rid of crime, but you got to get rid of the police. So, th And that's what Al Sharpton is speaking out. Even, even Kamala Harris is too radical for Al Sharpton. So think about how far they have gone here. It, it's, it's lunacy. It's madness, and it's called gaslighting, what people like Kamala Harris are doing, saying, well, look, Look at these uh, white neighborhoods. She didn't say it, but that's what she means. Look at the white neighborhoods. Look at the neighborhoods with no crime. They don't have police, so you got to get rid of the police. It's called gaslighting. I'll just explain. It's a term I've used before. People may not be familiar with the uh, with with the origin of it, the context, which is that there was a man, there was a husband and a wife, and apparently the man had some issues. He, there was something wrong with him, and he was trying to get his wife, I believe it's a true story, to think that she was going crazy. And so what he did was, back, this was before they had light bulbs, so they had lanterns. They actually would have kerosene uh, in that, that, would, that would light up the house, light up the room. And he kept taking gas out of the lamp. Every night, he'd put gas in, he'd put gas in, the, in the lantern, and he'd take a little bit out. I don't know if it was the same night or a different night. And his wife would say, oh, isn't it darker? And, he, and this is a horrible story, by the way, horrific story. But uh, he'd say, no, it's the same. Did you take some of the gas out of the, out of the light, out of the lantern? No, I have just as much. And he would make it a little bit darker, tiny bit, just a drop darker, drop darker. And she thought she must be going crazy because he insisted that there was just as much uh, gas. And it turns out he was really the one who was making it darker, telling her that it was just as light. And that is where the expression gaslighting comes from. I'm telling you this because as horrifying as it sounds, that is what people like Kamala Harris are doing, trying to make us not believe our own minds, our own eyes, and uh, live, feel like we're living in an alternate reality. All right, so Peter Strzok has admitted that the claim in his book was false. We told you about the claim that he made in an interview that the uh, Australian diplomat, the Australian ambassador, decided to report 
the conversation with Papadopoulos to the FBI only after President Trump asked Russia, please release 30,000 emails that belong to Hillary Clinton, that Hillary Clinton, uh, of course, deleted illegally. And uh, Peter Strzok, it was actually in his book. He actually wrote a book, Compromise, of course, because everybody's writing a book. He's on the bandwagon. And he has admitted, the Washington Examiner discovered this, that it was actually a lie that was told in his book, and now he admitted that he was on some kind of Zoom conference call, but he says it's just a minor detail. He's downplaying it, saying it's not a big deal. It's actually a huge deal. In his book, he claimed, and what do we expect? In his book, he claimed Australian diplomat Alexander Downer only decided to inform the U.S. government about a conversation he had with George Papadopoulos, a Trump, a low-level Trump campaign staffer in May 2016 in London, in a bar, and Papadopoulos said Russia might have dirt on Hillary Clinton. So, according to Strzok's book, he only said that, and this book is, is now worthless to me, because once you discredit this, he was caught on this, so he admitted it, but who knows what else. It was worthless to me before, because we know Peter, Peter Strzok's history. But uh, he, he claims, well, Alexander Downer, after Trump said in a, at a rally, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails. I mean, the Democrats, they harp on those words. Trump was making a joke. They, can, they have no sense of humor. Liberals have no sense of humor whatsoever. It was, such a, it was clearly such a joke, and it was a funny joke. But, but either way, it's not true. It's a lie in the book because it actually happened. It was reported. We know the timeline. It was reported, and Strzok admitted this. It was reported the day before Trump made those comments. So that book is fake news, and Peter Strzok calls it an honest mistake, an honest mistake. Those are the words he used. I mean, the man who has been as dishonest as anybody that I have ever seen, and I may have mentioned, you know, we, we, we are seeing pretty clearly here Peter Strzok is not going to be indicted by John Durham. He has been way too public. He has been doing these interviews. He's putting, he put out this book, as I said. You don't do that when you've been informed that you're the target of an investigation, the subject of an investigation. So obviously, Peter Strzok, if he's going this public, he was informed, his lawyer was informed by John Durham that he's not a subject. So you knock him off the list, which is very unfortunate because he was at the top of my list. I was really hoping that Strzok would be indicted, but who knows? I mean, the clock is ticking. We're only a few weeks away. I am getting very pessimistic about seeing any more Durham and Diamonds. I've been that way from day one. Uh, it turns, I would call it realistic because somehow it's they're oh, the, it's always the Republicans who get indicted, never the Democrats except somebody like Kevin Kleinsmith who no one's ever heard of. He, and how about Andrew McCabe? If anyone's going to be indicted, it's Andrew McCabe because there's already a criminal referral out on Andrew McCabe from the IG, Michael Horowitz, who's he's an independent. He's not even pro-Trump. And where's the indictment? All right, so it turns out the whole impeachment was just a sham and a hoax even more so than we've known until now because the whistleblower, he was supposed to be the one who triggered the whole impeachment. He was just a pawn. He was just being used by people like Adam Schiff and by the real mastermind. The real mastermind, it turns out, was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. And this is interesting. The reason it's interesting is because Alexander Vindman, the way the Democrats framed it, Vindman clearly had a vendetta against Trump, but the way the, the Democrats, they framed this as though, like this whistleblower, he was very distraught because he heard about the call, Trump and the Ukrainian president. And by the way, you know, Vladimir Zelensky, and by the way, uh, the, the, the whistleblower wasn't even on the call. Alexander Vindman was. So the Democrats made it seem, Adam Schiff said it, it, the whole thing was a setup. They made it seem like, oh, this whistleblower, he's really, really worried because he knows that Trump is uh, colluding with Ukraine or investigating Biden or whatever, you know, withholding funds, quid pro quo, not going to rehash all of that. And Alexander Vindman, he's just this this bystander. He's just this, like, sideline witness, and he comes in and testifies, and he's, like, one of the star witnesses. 
but he wasn't part of the whole thing. And it turns out it was all a conspiracy that was conjured up by Alexander Vindman and the whistleblower. They, they, Vindman actually recruited the whistleblower. We still don't know officially, but everybody knows uh, it's, it's, it's Eric Charamella who's, who worked for the CIA. So Alexander Vindman, there was no like corroborating star witness. He's, the o- he's really the only one. Maybe one other witness, you know, was slightly against Trump, and Vindman was the only one. And it turns out Vindman's really the one who orchestrated the whole thing, which of course gives him zero credibility as a witness. This is according to a new book from Byron York. Byron York is a conservative, but he's not exactly, you know, a, a huge fan of President Trump. And it's also from an article, a story by Molly Hemingway at the Federalist. And the name of the book by Byron York: Obsession Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump. And it shows how Alexander Vindman was really the mastermind of the impeachment and not the whistleblower. Molly Hemingway wrote, quote, Charamella was a diversion from allowing the American people to understand who was the actual instigator of the failed effort to oust President Trump from office. Rather than being a witness who independently supported the claims of the whistleblower, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who worked for the National Security Council, was the driving force behind the entire operation, according to the book's interviews. She's talking about the Byron York book with key figures in the impeachment and other evidence. The whistleblower's information came directly from Vindman. That's what was determined by investigators. uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Republican New York, who's been extremely supportive of President Trump, said, quote, Vindman was the person on the call who went to the whistleblower after the call to give the whistleblower the information he needed to file his complaint, end quote. And a senior congressional aide told Byron York, quote, for all intents and purposes, Vindman is the whistleblower, but he was able to get somebody else to do the dirty work for him. This is so this is so huge. I mean, this is an epic bombshell. This is the real bombshell. The media is all busy with its fake bombshell, the anti-Trump bombshell, this Bob Woodward book. But the real bombshell here is that this Alexander Vindman, there was no whistleblower. The whistleblower was fake to begin with, and the whole thing was orchestrated by somebody who clearly had a vendetta against Trump. So it's not like, well, Alexander Vindman, who was really the only witness who was damaging to Trump, uh, it's not as though like he was just a an independent witness who just decided he had to come forward. He was the he was the only man. He was the man who conspired and the Democrats, they ran with it. They had this moment. They were so desperate. They needed to bounce back. They were so humiliated by Mueller. The, for number one, the Mueller report, which exonerated Trump. And number two, the Mueller testimony, which was an absolute, absolute disaster because it showed that Bob Mueller was just a total pawn. I mean, just really, he he was not even in charge. I mean, the man wasn't even capable of being in charge, just a shell of his former self. The Democrats, they were licking their wounds, recovering from that deep, dark humiliation. So they grabbed anything they could and ran with it. All right, President Trump and A.G. Barr, get this. The murder rate in Chicago has been cut in half in the last few months. Thanks to who? Not thanks to the Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Thanks to A.G. Barr and President Trump. This is unreal. And again, another epic story here being ignored, totally ignored by the media. Uh, This is Operation Legend. Operation Legend has been in effect for about five or six weeks. And it has cut the. It's it's in a bunch of cities where the federal government has stepped in and do what the local Democrat mayors are refusing to do. And Operation Legend has been an astounding success. And A.G. Barr credits it. He actually spoke. He credits it. He gave an update, some kind of press briefing. He credits Operation Legend with cutting the murder rate in Chicago by 50%, quote, over the first five weeks of Operation Legend in Chicago, murders dropped by 50% over the previous five weeks. That's according to Barr. August had a 45% decrease in murders compared to July in Chicago, 35% decrease compared to June. Barr said, quote, Chicago in August saw the lowest number of murders at any time since April. 
Operation Legend has played a critical role in cutting Chicago's murder rate roughly in half since before the operation. And it, what happened in July, Barr announced this, uh, the, the launching of Operation Legend. This is basically the federal government went, stepped in because it was just out of control. And it's described as a sustained, systemic, and coordinated law enforcement initiative across all federal law enforcement agencies in conjunction with state and local law enforcement to fight the sudden surge of violent crime. It's named after four-year-old legend Talaferro, who was shot and killed in Kansas City June 29th. That was his name, uh, Ellie Legend, legend or Legend, L-E-G-E-N-D with a capital G. Talaferro, he was a four-year-old, shot and killed in Kansas City. H- horrific, unspeakable. And the operation is now in Chicago, Albuquerque, Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Memphis, and Indianapolis. Authorities, through Operation Legend, authorities have now arrested 2,000 suspects. 592 of them have been charged with federal crimes. But remember, the riots, they were created by federal agents. Trump sent federal agents into these cities, and that's what triggered these riots. Such a bogus narrative there by the Democrats. Portland, the federal government, the federal agents have been gone for weeks, and the riots in Portland are out of control. They're going strong. It's been over 100 days. So nothing to do with the feds. The feds are the ones who are solving the problem. President Trump has released a new list of potential Supreme Court nominees. If President Trump gets the chance, and hopefully he will, to appoint, who knows, one, two, maybe three Supreme Court nominees... Well, that would be quite exciting. I mean, that would be so game-changing. Uh, imagine President Trump over the next four years. It couldn't happen because you're going to have, if he gets reelected, he'll have some conservatives who do retire. And he has released a new list of 20 names of potential Supreme Court nominees. Many of them are judges, federal judges. But the names include, get this, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, three ultra-conservative senators, who of course are lawyers, are on President Trump's, I guess, short list, you'd call it, list of 20 names, medium list, of potential Supreme Court nominees. I mean, he's trying to rally the base, get them excited, and it certainly works for me. Um, how, how, can you imagine... Can you imagine Supreme Court Justice Ted Cruz joining already? If you have four pretty conservative justices, Chief Justice John Roberts, who's somewhere in the middle, he was supposed to be conservative when he was appointed. I mean, that would just be unreal. All right, President Trump has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, for the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize. I would be absolutely shocked. He deserves the Nobel Peace Prize, but we know the Nobel Committee, how liberal they are. He deserves it a lot more than Obama. So a member of the Norwegian parliament has nominated President Trump. Uh, this man is named Tybring Gijedi or something, some name that's impossible to pronounce. Why do these names, these Norwegian names, why do they have to have all the Scandinavian names? Well, many of them, not all of them, but, but uh, you know, frequently, why do they have to have all these like J's and all these consonants. I mean, I'll just spell you. His last name is T-Y-B-R-I-N-G hyphen G-J-E-D-D-E. Gjedi? Gjedi? Probably the J is like a Y sound or some, you know, uh, Norwegian thing like that. So he's the head of Norway's NATO delegation, and he told Fox News, he says, Trump's role in brokering peace between Israel and the UAE, he says that that was a major achievement, quote, for his merit, I think he has done more trying to create peace between nations than most other Peace Prize nominees. And he told the Nobel Committee uh, that the deal could precipitate several other peace deals between Israel and other countries in the region. He says it's a game changer in the Middle East. And uh, he said, quote, as it, is, as it is expected, other Middle Eastern countries will follow in the footsteps of the UAE. This agreement could be a game changer, turning the Middle East into a region of cooperation and prosperity. So he recognizes 
that this is a historic, historic achievement. It's interesting because, you know, I saw somebody made the point uh, in a magazine that, uh, you know, people are comparing this peace deal to Israel and Egypt and Israel and Jordan. And somebody said, you can't really call it a peace deal because it's not like they were at war. Israel and Egypt, Israel and Jordan, you know, there was actual fighting going on. The United States and the UAE, the UAE refused to recognize Israel's right to exist, but it wasn't like they were at war. There was no fighting going on that stopped, so it's not a peace deal. And technically, he may be right. It's, it's normalizing relations, but here is the, my observation. This is a much bigger deal. In so many ways, this is a much bigger deal you know, than, than Israel and Jordan, let's say. And look, I don't want to minimize. Israel and Jordan, Israel and Egypt, that was huge. We don't remember because now Egypt has been like on the sideline, Egypt is a very weak country, pitifully weak. But at the time in the 70s, I mean, Egypt was pretty much, you know, the strongest enemy in the Middle East, the strongest Arab country uh, that Israel, the, basically Israel's number one threat. So that, that peace, I would think, so, you know, I would describe it that way. So that peace deal was monumental. Don't get me wrong. But here's the thing. Egypt w was not like a, a, a world superpower. Egypt didn't wasn't doing a lot of business, didn't have a lot of money. And my point is, Israel and the UAE, yeah, you might not be stopping a war, although Israel's at war with the Palestinians, and these countries are now no longer supporting the Palestinians. So that part of this is huge. But putting that aside, Israel has all these um, dealings that it's that it, that it's ha creating with the UAE. You have all these business deals. You have all this cooperation on the coronavirus, on health, on technology, military cooperation, but also business. You're talking about two of the wealthiest and most prosperous countries in the world. Certainly, the two wealthiest countries in the Middle East, and they weren't speaking. They weren't on speaking terms. They, the UAE refused to recognize Israel. Israel is more than willing to well to, to to recognize any Arab country, but. But they, it's not reciprocal. So this is, I mean, if you think about the long-term ramifications, it, it's its almost, it defies the imagination. All right, so Bob Woodward, this new book is called Rage. And as I said, it's about relevancy, you know, because its it's been many, many years since Watergate. And uh, he wants to be part of this. I don't think it's about, he wants to influence the election. It's not about the money. And uh, as I said, it's just drivel. The, literally, I looked, the worst accusation. I mean, there's this usual stuff about Kim Jong-un and, you know, just uh, really, really nothing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Nothing new at all and, and nothing, period. And the worst accusation is innocuous because they're saying Trump engaged in a COVID cover-up. It's like, and by the way, Trump insulted generals. He insulted his military generals. Not this story that we've told you about from the Atlantic, but uh, Trump was actually, he was dealing with it with the generals. And you know he said something uh, insulting to generals because he didn't like their perspective because they were more worried about uh, the the alliance with certain countries making keeping strong alliances with countries than they were about cutting a trade deal. And I could certainly envision Trump being frustrated by that, insulting the generals. And it's just not a big deal. I mean, he deals with generals all day long. You know, things are going to be said. So who cares? Uh, well, he can't. Uh, he, you know, he can't demean the military like that. I mean, come on. He's the president. He, he's, 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 he's trying to work things out, get things done, and, and they're stopping him. Anybody, he's a human. And, um, and they also think that Trump is a dimwit, which we've known for a very long time. So it's like you can't be telling us again and again the same things and expect us to still be interested. And, and, and it's just all bogus to begin with and all really innocuous. So uh, the main allegation, as we said, is that Trump knew the virus was very deadly back in February, but he still downplayed it. Now, he admits downplaying it. He admits that he, he told Bob Woodward, he said, I've been downplaying it because he didn't want to create mass panic and mass hysteria. So he knew that the, that, that, that the uh, coronavirus was very dangerous. He, he told Woodward 
back in February, at least according to Woodward, but I believe there are recordings of this, that he said that it's five, it could be five times as deadly as the flu. So Trump knew it was horrific. The, the media is saying, well, he covered it up. Well, he covered it up. He's speaking openly to a reporter who's writing a book about him, telling him how bad it is. That's a pretty silly way for Trump to cover something up. So, you know, and again, why Trump agrees to this interview? Nine hours, I have absolutely, I will never know. He, like, he almost, he wants the challenge. It's almost like he wants this. Somehow, if, if, if you thought he was doing it strategically, it's almost like he thinks that a book like this is somehow going to help him. You know, like there's no such thing as bad publicity or something like that. I don't know. But he knows, as I told you, that Bob Woodward is just going to sit there with his team and they're just going to pour through every single word, every single sigh, every single time that, you know, President Trump, like, made any kind of sound whatsoever. They're going to be, like, going through it, trying to find something damaging about him. But um, is the media aware that Trump, you know, how many countries there are in Europe that have the same COVID numbers as the U.S. or even worse than the U.S.? I mean, is Trump in charge of like Sweden and Belgium and all these other countries? Put Sweden as well. Sweden, they they they, they wanted herd immunity. They didn't lock down, but the UK now has new restrictions. Belgium had terribly high numbers. Spain, Italy. Trump is in charge of all of them, and and, and the whole thing is just so bizarre because. Trump says, listen, I downplaying it. Why should I create mass panic and hysteria? We don't care about what Trump says. What Trump says is important. What's far more important is his policies. He was very tough with the travel ban much earlier on. While Meanwhile, while the Democrats were bashing him for being anti-China and being a xenophobe, right? Joe Biden, the day that Trump uh, imposes the travel ban, Trump had very tough restrictions. He locked the country down. So he did all, he did all the, these things right. But at the same time, he's telling people, look, hopefully it's going to pass soon. Hopefully the weather gets warm and, and giving people hope, giving people optimism. Now, you say, well, he should have made people really frightened because uh, otherwise, you know, people, they were too lax about it. People didn't take it seriously enough because Trump seemed like he was too optimistic, too positive. I mean, there's that's a strategy. The strategy is, listen, let's keep, give people hope, keep them optimistic because it's going to create mass hysteria, mass panic, and that's not going to do anybody any good. Well, you have a different strategy. You say, listen, we need to warn people. We need to be alarmist. We need to tell people how terrible this is. Not that the Democrats were doing that, by the way. You know, so the Democrats... They knew everything, and, and we all knew. It, it, it's not like it was a secret. I mean, the, the reports were coming out of China. You know, A lot of things were being covered up, but we, I was reporting it in February. All the things that Trump told Bob Woodward, he knew about it, but Trump has had a positive tone. This is the Democrats. The big scandal is that Trump had a positive tone. This is how he is, okay? He's a positive-thinking person. He likes to think that things are going to go well, that things in the, are going to have a happy ending, and he shared that with people. It didn't change his policies one bit. The task force has defended Trump repeatedly, even though they've been at odds with him and there's been friction, but they've, they, they have totally defended the way he has handled this. So it's, and the media, they're desperate for Fauci to uh, criticize Trump's handling of it, and he refuses to do it. Trump, Fauci defended Trump uh, on this, on Fox News, on this, uh, against this claim of Woodward's book. Fauci said, quote, I don't think Trump ever distorted things that I spoke to him about. And referring to the coronavirus press briefings, Fauci said, quote, I don't think he said much different than what we said to him when we were in the Oval Office. So Fauci actually defended President Trump saying that uh, he did exactly what the task force asked him to do. So what's the media talking about? And by the way, that frustrates them so much because they think that Fauci's on their side. And, and he's not Fauci. He's in the middle. Look, I've had a lot of issues with Fauci, but he plays it down the middle. Now, meanwhile, Woodward quotes Dr. Fauci. Woodward interviewed a lot of people, including Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Fauci bashed President Trump for having no attention span. He said, quote, uh, Trump's attention span is like a minus number. And he said that Trump's uh, sole purpose is to get 
reelected. Now, we've dealt with all these things before. Every president, their sole purpose is to get reelected. Ironically, that's probably a good thing because they do the thing that makes them popular. They do the thing that people want them to do. No president says, you know what? I want to get reelected, so I'm going to let a lot of people die from a disease. Or I want to get reelected, so I'm going to let I'm going to tank the economy. Yeah, I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. What, what exactly do you want his motivation to be? To lose? I want, I want to lose to Joe Biden. That's my motivation, so I'm going to do terrible things for the country. It's just bizarre that like they level this. And then his attention span is like a minus number. Big deal. The, the, I don't even know if it's true, but they, they say that Trump has a very short attention span and he admits it like he doesn't even prep for debates. If anything, to me, it makes it even more amazing because Trump, he has a handle when when, when they ask him questions he's not prepared for. You know, he literally rattles things off. He says things off the cuff. He's clearly there is so much racing through his mind. And well, you say, well, he studies and researches for hours and hours. Apparently not. All the reports are that he really has no attention span. So I, I actually, to me, I spin that into a positive. But uh, but either way, it's just not a big deal. It, you know, he's an extremely successful president who has kept his promises far beyond anything I ever imagined he would do. I really do not care what his. I don't care if he's like totally ADHD and has zero attention span, which it sounds like he may. Who cares? Uh, the owner of the salon in San Francisco, who Nancy Pelosi uh, claims set her up, Nancy Pelosi attacked. She she has raised $300,000 on GoFundMe. So that's pretty amazing. That was her original goal. Um, Kamala Harris is trying to get the country to be skeptical about a potential vaccine. And this is the Democrats' new strategy. Well, Trump, the Republicans, they don't believe in science. Do not trust their vaccine. See, they are worried. Here are the two things the Democrats want to ensure before Election Day, that the economy is terrible and that COVID-19 is out of control. The, the Democrats' mission right now for the next two months, make sure COVID-19 is as deadly as can be. It's, it's horrible, but this is, I think this is their strategy because they want to win and, uh, and, and make sure the economy is in terrible shape. And is that why Nancy Pelosi is refusing to make a deal on a new relief package? So Kamala Harris... She, 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 you know, the narrative is we're the only ones listening to science, but not Trump. They deny science. So she was on CNN and she was asked, let's just say there is a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? And as usual, she dodged the question. Harris said, quote, well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. And it would have to be a credible source of information that talks about the efficacy and the reliability of whatever he's talking about. I will not take his word for it, end quote. So she's saying, well, I don't trust Trump. If Trump, you know, She's turning it into like another Putin. And this is very dangerous. The Washington Examiner said this is a very dangerous narrative. The Democrats are trying to say, listen, if Trump comes out with a cure, with a, with a vaccine, do not trust the president. He's a he's a science denier, and it's dangerous for many reasons. But if the if there is a vaccine that does work and the country avoids it, then that could prevent herd immunity, as the Washington Examiner points out. Because you know, as many people as possible have to get a vaccine get a vaccine in order you know to really stop the spread. Pelosi, meanwhile, yesterday said Republicans do not believe in science. She said, uh, and she essentially said that's why she's not cutting a deal on a relief package, amazingly. She was on Bloomberg, and she, this was in response. Republicans say that they don't, want, they don't want to cut a deal with Pelosi about sending uh, funding to state and local governments because it's going to go—Pelosi refuses to restrict the money to only go through things related to COVID-19. It's a COVID-19 relief bill, and yet the fear is that— that local governments are going to use it to balance their budgets, which they have allowed to just get out of control and not deal with, not pay for things directly COVID related. So she was asked, quote, would you be willing to attach restrictions that say it really only goes for things specifically related to COVID-19? And she just went on this, this long tangent, this diatribe 
Quote, well, first of all, I wouldn't say those are reasons they're not doing it. I think those are excuses because they don't believe in governance. They don't believe in science. Therefore, they have not gone with the testing, tracing, treatment, isolation, mask wearing, etc. They don't believe in science. They don't believe in governance. There is no, this money that we wanted for state and local governments is very for a very specific coronavirus-centric purpose to offset some of the expenses that have already uh, been made to fight the virus uh, and meet the health needs of people infected. And secondly, to talk about the loss of revenue because of the shutdowns around the country. So that's a long way of her saying no, that she's not going, clearly that she's not going to agree, agree to restrict the money to only be spent. That was the number two thing that she threw in there, which basically means they can use it for anything because it's about the loss of revenue because of the shutdowns. Well, why? Why won't she agree to use them to, to, to restrict the money to only be used to pay for COVID-19? Well, she said, because Republicans don't believe in science. What does that have to do with anything? You're saying it's only going to be used for things related to COVID-19. Put that in the bill. Restrict it to only be spent on that. The answer is Democrats, as always, are using COVID-19 as an excuse to get what she wants. She wants the, these Democrat states and cities. They are bankrupt because they had such terrible economies to begin with. And, and, and the shutdown has really crushed a lot of their businesses, the surge in crime and everything else. People are, are fleeing out of the city. So she's trying to help these cities balance their budget and spend all the outrageous amounts of money that they love spending. And they're using COVID as an excuse. All right, that's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.